Otherwise, everybody would be uh, beautifully staring at my wonderful breasts. Um... Hello and welcome to the first proper episode of the UGVM podcast. It seems our listener enjoyed the pilot enough to want us to do another one. I'm your host, Andy Kavner, but you can call me DK. And with me today are Kendrick. Hello. And Zoe. Yo. Hello. Um, Just in case you're wondering what happened to Niaz, he's lost in Elite Dangerous somewhere or something. He's marooned on a planet or he's crashed his spaceship or something. Um, Although I should probably explain uh, in case our listener isn't from UGVM, although I think that's probably unlikely. um, The podcast will actually draw from a number of UGVM cast members. So the lineup each episode might not remain the same. Um, Some of us will come in and out. Um, A bit like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets his own talk show, if you remember that. So. But uh, anyway, um, since our pilot, um, some of us have been to EGX, so um, we'll get started talking about that. Um, um, just for the purpose of uh, explaining to non-UK listeners, EGX would be the Eurogamer Exposition, is that correct? That's correct, yes, and, um, and, and it was a bit far for you to travel to get there, so we will have <laughs> to uh, let, you, let you know what it was like. Um, pr- probably best I will just... Um, um, explain uh, how I got there. Um, unusually for this kind of event, I went with work, and I'm not in the games industry or anything like that. I work in a school, and um, we organised a school trip down there. So we took a coach full of teenagers, which was a worry to start with. Um, it was even more of a worry when one of them was uh, quite quite um, sick on the way um, with travel sickness, you know, but but it was fine. We sorted it all out and um, and I think all the kids that were there had a, had a good time. So it was a bit strange. I was, I was split between um, uh, looking at the games and uh, babysitting throughout the day. So um, um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't quite what I was expecting um, there. But, Andy, uh, I have to ask, as an American, it astonishes me that the uh, school system in the United Kingdom would consider a video game convention or uh, expo to be an appropriate place for a, a school trip. Um, is this an indication that video games are a fully accepted form of uh, entertainment that's appropriate for children uh, on that uh, side of the Atlantic? Absolutely. We, we, we run um, parts, parts of the courses that we run. We actually do game development um so so there's that but um also i don't know about in previous years because i wasn't interested in that side of it but certainly this year at egx there were an awful lot of um uh, seminars and lectures and talks and workshops um, based around the industry um so how to get into developing games how to um get into doing the art for games how to get into game pr how to get into games journalism so um, th- there was an edu- educational side for the, for the kids being there. When you put it that way, that sh- shed some light on uh, my own misconception because that's more a reflection of the uh, education system in the UK than it is of video games, uh, j- sure. just because no one would be that forward-thinking in America to believe that you know, children would want to get a job in the games industry someday. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I think a lot of kids always want to get a job in the games industry, um, but I don't think it's something that's been promoted necessarily in schools, certainly not until the last couple of years, I would have thought, um, but, but more so now. Hopefully someday America will catch up. 
yeah yeah and what, what was what i did like actually about the kids being there um was um i mean they're all 14 and 15 year olds the majority of them were, were boys there were a few girls there um but when i was wandering around the place uh i'd obviously keep bumping into them and what surprised me is the games they were playing i thought they'd be queuing up to try and get into play uh call of duty or assassin's creed or fifa or or, or that kind of thing but in actual fact um i mean one particular group of eight of them sat and played for an hour and a half on um a, a lan um death match on quake 2 which came out before any of them were born um another group of them i, I stumbled across playing four player super bomberman on super nes so um I, I was i was quite pleased to see that i thought it would all be um the newest and, and biggest and most violent and, and games you know the kind of stuff that 14 year old teenagers would would um stereotypically probably want to play um and of course the other thing which was the, the most important thing is i i beat one of them at street fighter 5 so you know that was that was the, the highlight of the day really <laughs> it, it warms the cockles of my heart to know that uh, these kids you were there with not only have an appreciation for the history of games but were willing to extend you the credibility to even play with you i just told them i i, <laughs> I mean i'm not i'm not a good street fighter 5 player but i was good enough so that was fine so um so what kind of things do you want to know um i, I mean I, I can go on at, at great length about how, how the place was laid out and the kind of companies and stuff there but if there's um you know anything you want to narrow it down to to start with that'd be good well, as I uh, as we discussed previously, I prepared some questions in advance. Um, the Eurogamer, excuse me, the Eurogamer Expo occurs later in the year than a number of other comparable shows. Uh, the ones that come to mind right away are the uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta, which is not strictly game uh, focused, but has a good amount of game content, and then the. Uh, what used to be known as the Penny Arcade Expo, now known as PAX, yeah, which yeah. is where a lot of uh, independent gamers will tend to uh, exhibit their stuff before it uh, shows up in the mainstream. Uh, what makes EGA different, or excuse me, what makes EGX different to uh, these other shows? What uh, what about its location and its position on the calendar uh, sets it apart? I'm I'm not really sure. I mean, um, it, for the consumer, I think it's a little bit less of a trade show than than quite a few other things. But um, as for a consumer, I think it's quite well placed to um, uh, to take advantage of it being on the run up to Christmas. Um, so quite a few of the games that we saw will be out just in time for Christmas. Um, so there's that. Um, in terms of its location, I think it just it's just where a lot of this kind of thing takes place in this country. It's in Birmingham. It used to be in London, um, but it's you know it's one of the biggest exhibition centres in the country. Is there, so it kind of makes sense for it to be there. Um, mm. You know, and and we are a small country, so anywhere in the country isn't really too far away from anywhere else. So it doesn't make a huge amount of difference, I suppose, for that. Um, I was going but, to say um, sixty million uh, in the uh, in the uh, actual nation, and it's not uh, much of a stretch for any of them to hop a train and no. uh, get to Birmingham. No, no, I've, I've, I've said before um, to, to, to some American friends that I think um, in Britain, we see a, a long journey as anything that takes an hour or more, whereas in America, a long journey is anything that takes a day or more. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so it seemed like a long way for us, but um, yeah. Right, not, not so I did some research, and uh, one of the things that EGX has that other shows don't necessarily have is something called the Left Field Collection. Yes. Um, what is that all about? 
Okay, so imagine so you've got your your big your big um, I hate the term, but the big AAA games. So you've got your Call of Duty and your FIFA and, and whatever, mm-hmm. um, and then below that you've got the the, the B tier type type stuff, and then under that you then have the indie stuff, which is the stuff that's funded and kind of like really quite professional. So you'd be looking at things like uh, uh, Steam World in there, or Super Meat Boy, or, or you know ones that, that a lot of people have heard of, but are, are small development teams. But the left field stuff seems to be even smaller again. So it's often just one or two people putting the whole thing together. They're often experimental. Um, they're, they're the kind of things that you you probably see um, lurking in the shadows on on Steam, and probably wouldn't wouldn't come to the front unless unless somebody picks them up at some point in the future. Um, so I, I mean, I did, I, there, there were quite a few games in that section, and they all seemed unusual and experimental and a bit abstract. Um, Anything in particular from that collection catch your eye? Um, some of them I just couldn't make head or tail of, to be honest. Um, but the, the two two that did, one of them was a game called Sonda, which apparently has been around for a while and is actually on Steam at the moment in early access, I believe. Um, and it's an epi- episodic game where you are based on a spaceship that appears to be drifting. Um, if you've ever played or, or, or heard of um, the game called the, the Starship Damray on the 3DS, it feels a little bit like that. You wake up out of stasis. There's nobody around. Some of the other people you expect to be in stasis aren't. Some of the people who shouldn't be in space in stasis are. And um, you've got to piece together um, what's been going on uh, from from logs and, and from from evidence and stuff that you find. So it it seems a bit of an adventure game, um, bit sci-fi, bit horror, bit you know. Um, that that looked quite interesting. Um, I've since learned that the the, the twist is there's no main character. Um, it seems that you could, I don't know whether you're forced to play as, as different characters for different parts of the game or whether you can choose to choose a different character at any point you want, but um, you see uh, things happening from different points of view. That's um, an interesting twist on the roguelike where instead of randomizing the environment, your character is randomized and you're forced to interact with the same environment in different ways because of it. Yeah, sure. So I mean, it it, it's, it seemed interesting to me. Um, it was it was quite clunky. Um, the, the engine didn't seem particularly good. The way that your character walked looked like um, um, they're a bit bandy legged and and their arms were flailing a bit. Um, but you know, it's 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 early access. It's a small team, so you know um, that'd be quite interesting to look at, I suppose. Um, I do so- hope that they find the funding to uh, add a section of the game where you have to selfishly wake up Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah maybe um yeah there, there, there is there is supposedly somebody who has um been broken out of stasis and appears to be roaming the ship inside the ducks and things somewhere so that's um yeah that that was that was something i'd like to see um more of i think but yeah um so there was that game um there seemed to be an awful lot of games that, that look like puzzle games with kind of weird brightly colored geometric shapes and stuff and and um i didn't really have the time to sit down and, and be explained to how to play them um but um, they did look fun and bright. Um, there was another game there called Toast Time, uh, which again I didn't really understand, but I liked the way that it's. Um, do, you, do you know how Downwell looks like a Commodore sixty four game? Yes. Um, yeah, it kind of looks a bit like that. Um, only it uh, seems to be a single screen platform game where you have to avoid lots of things that come at you, either, either um, projectiles or explosions or other characters or whatever. I, I couldn't really make it out, but um, it, it's it's got great like eight um, bit tune music and um, some some really good pixel graphics. Um, you know, it looks looks quite stark, but 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 nicely done and um, fluid and everything. So that. That was interesting in the same way that that I found Downwell interesting, even though it's obviously a slightly different type of game. Um, but apart from, apart from those, 
anything else I couldn't pick out. So unless unless Zoe saw anything down that weird coloured tunnel that everything seemed to be in, um, I, I think that's all I can tell you about that. I'll confess, so, I didn't even go into the left field section. No, it was a bit of a strange place to go because um, all the walls in there were, were, were bright white. Um, only there was some kind of lighting in there that kept changing. So you go down there and it'd all be green and then it would be purple and then it would be back to white again. And it was it was a little bit off putting. It was kind of like a, it was kind of like going to a silent rave only in slow motion. <laughs> As if they were working too hard to call out the uh, left field qualities of these single single developer and offbeat games sure yeah and also to add to the the slightly surrealness as well is a lot of the people who were there obviously they are the developers of the games actually showing them off which is another thing you don't get in some of the the, the higher tiers of games um right. so they're, they're keen to tell you but they're not necessarily pr people so um they're not great at being able to tell you and um a lot of them aren't uh native english speakers either which which kind of made things even more difficult for them to explain an already difficult to explain game um and so so yeah a, a lot of the games that i think we'd have to wait a little bit longer before we um look at them properly and and, uh, and and understand them but it was interesting if nothing else i i suspect then that uh this follow-up question is appropriate are there other leaders from the game industry wandering around incognito or not who uh uh, the uh, left field collection uh, attendees are hoping to get the attention of. Are people I bet, uh, hoping to get discovered, as it were? I bet there probably is, yeah. And and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously that they're they're looking for a cheap win somewhere. So the bigger companies they'll have scouts out scouts out looking for talent elsewhere on 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 the floor. I would imagine. Um, so yeah, of course these people they've got the stores laid out and and they want somebody to come along and tell them, um, you know, if we we give you a bit of money, your game can be on our system or you know under our uh, under our umbrella, and um, and and pick up something that way. So uh, maybe okay. maybe some of these will get picked up at some point in the future. Well, then uh, that kind of leads me uh, to my last question that I prepared before we go and talk about specific games that uh, were exhibited at EGX. How much of the UK games buying market is represented at EGX? I, I suppose that question needs a little bit of explanation. In the States, typically the people who go to a convention or an expo that's video game uh, focused will be enthusiasts, people who have encyclopedic knowledge of a game and its history and who are likely to not only buy a game at launch but buy a collector's edition and spend ridiculous amounts of money. I'm interested so, to know yeah. if EGX... Yes, exactly. I'm interested to know if EGX attracts a more casual flavor of gamer. Do you have parents going there? Do you have uh, the people who might have bought the Wii initially or people who are uh, gaming only on their uh, mobile phones uh, attending EGX? Well, it does cover for everyone. I mean, there were mobile games there. There were casual games there. Um, there were parents there. Um, in, in fact, we we uh, w went to the pub in the afternoon, and while we were sat there, Chun Li came in with with her her baby in a pushchair, um, <laughs> which which was slightly odd. Um, there were quite a few parents there with little kids wandering around. I I, I mainly wonder whether that was the the, the parents were the enthusiasts and the, the kids were just there because they couldn't you know um couldn't get babysitters or something but uh, there was quite a big cross-section i would say the majority of people who certainly i saw were were you know real proper gamers and, and the casual gamers really it's not the kind of event they go to unless they were tagged along with somebody else i would have thought but i think right. it's, a, it's a certain kind of of real proper gamer um it's certainly you won't get many of the we've only played on a wii crowd 
Um, and we play mobile crowd. Um, but if you actually look at the biggest queues for the event, and this has been going, I mean, I've been going to EGX since uh, 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and without exception, every single year, the biggest queues are for Call of Duty, FIFA, and whatever other big shooter is out this year. So this year, the biggest queue by far of the whole exhibition was for the new Battlefront. That's the oh, yeah. yeah. So that had by it's far all- the biggest queue. So it's not necessarily the encyclopedic knowledge history of gaming RPG playing types. It's it's mostly the the young adult FPS crowd. Sure. Right. So in, in that respect, not too different from any other gaming show or gaming enthusiast gathering. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Zoe may know better because he, he has in the past, I think, gone on more than one day. But um, we went on a Thursday, um, which is obviously, you know, working weekday. Um, we were surprised at the number of schools that were actually down there. We weren't the only one. There was there was seven or eight other schools down there. And so quite a big proportion of the people there were kids um, who were on school trips. Um, and of course, obviously, people working mainly during the week. I would imagine it would be a different type of crowd that would be there on a Saturday than perhaps on a Thursday. Um, yeah, that's, right. that is probably the case. Um, I mean, certainly Saturday there are a lot more people. There. Yes, yeah. It surprised me actually how empty it was. Um, I mean, th- there were still long queues for everything. I mean, yeah, when yeah. I well, I'm, I had an early access ticket which got you in at uh, ten, not nine, so I didn't need to set my alarm for four a.m. like I did. Much to my wife's disdain. Um, but I, the first thing I did when I got in on the early access ticket was head straight to Super Mario Odyssey. Um, and I got there and they said, the queue has exceeded maximum capacity. You're going to have to come back later. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, was, that was literally within, within two minutes of the doors opening. Yeah. Well, I mean, on, on the queues in general, um, the big games obviously had big queues. Um, most of the big games I just completely avoided because... I either wasn't interested in them, so Call of Duty, I've got no interest in, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and um, Battlefield, uh, Battlefront, sorry, not really much of interest in that either. Um, but on the other side, the games that I was interested in, so Assassin's Creed and uh, Mario Odyssey, um, I'm likely to buy them in the future anyway, so I'm not really that interested in queuing up for an hour to play them. Um, so the games that I tended to play were the ones that there was a short queue that I was either on the fence about or literally had no idea about. Yeah, well, and I suppose I, that I, the publishing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, when I first arrived um, and I tried to get in that Mario Odyssey queue, even though it had only been open for two minutes, um, they said it was well over an hour and their cut-off point was at the hour line. Um, so to come back, and I went back about um, probably about half three i think it did it close at five or six i think um, it was six but yeah. maybe it was half four then when things were wrapping down the crowds were starting to thin out and i might have been queuing for about 10 minutes so it turns out if you want to play the big games then just wait until an hour on the end and then just get in a queue and you'll just get straight on yeah yeah i suppose that the lesser uh game companies anyone who's not nintendo or a sony first party developer is counting on the big queues for the major games so that they can uh, get the overflow and get some attention from you know people who are waiting around in that way. Oh, absolutely. I, I there'll be a couple of times where I'll be like, I, I want to play one of these games. Look at the queues and go, you know, I'm just going to spend an hour wandering around the indie section playing whatever I can find. Right. Okay. Well, that ends the questions that uh, I uh, prepared in advance. Thanks for enlightening me. I'm uh, I'm actually much more interested in seeing if I can find my way across the ocean and attend the show at some point in the future. Um, Andy, I believe that there were a couple of specific games that you wanted to discuss that were uh, uh, exhibited at the show. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd like to uh, 
point out Sonic Forces to Zoe because he was so excited in the um, the pilot episode of the podcast about going to see um, Sonic Forces and playing Sonic Forces and and, uh, and and letting me know just how wrong I was about Sonic Forces. So uh, Zoe, h- how was Sonic Forces? It was shite. <laughs> <laughs> I still want it. I'll still get it. But uh, oh, it was meant to be the same as Generations. I mean, you just copy and paste it and change the levels a bit. They've broken it. They, they, they have. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Generations, but at least to start with, Generations was pretty good. Um, but for Forces, it's just all. It, it was like um, a mixture between um, Sonic Heroes, which was awful, and Shadow the Hedgehog, which was awful, and that Sonic the Hedgehog reboot from 2006, which was awful. Um, it's like which are the worst games that we could possibly combine to bring back, and 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 they've done that, and somehow it's it's worse than the sum of its parts. I mean, the the first thing that I sat down with, there were there were four levels. I only got to play three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, a a modern Sonic level, a classic Sonic level, and the make your own. I think there was a tag one as well, but I didn't get a chance to play. That, that. wouldn't load for me. It crashed. Uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't showing on the. It was showing on the menu on one of them, but I got kicked off because I'd been on it too long. Then I came back later and went on a different one, and it wasn't on the menu, so I don't know what happened yeah. there. Um, but I I started off with the classic Sonic one, and like first thing that happened when I got hit, all my rings disappeared into the screen. You can't collect them if you get hit. Well, that's stupid. And and that's just. That, that's how Sonic has been for 26 years, and they've now decided to change it to something that nobody would possibly want. No. Is there anything redeeming about the game at all? Anything that will make it worth picking up for a tenor in uh, six months' time? It's Sonic, and therefore I have to own it and play it to the end, because I hate myself. Well, you're a married man now, so please be frugal and patient. <laughs> I am frugal, except when it comes to Sonic games. Like I have a, I have a. Speech. The the real the real um, killer for Sonic uh, Forces that I noticed was um, I mean it was the very first game I played because uh, Zoe pointed me in its direction because there was a lady there giving out posters to anybody who would brave the game. Um, so I felt obliged to go and play it to pick up one of the posters. Um, there there was no queue at all for for the game um there must have been what i don't know 15 20 pods or whatever actually playing it on on various platforms and you could just go and sit down at pretty much anyone you want um and yet next door they had sonic mania where there was a queue and the game had been out three four weeks already um and that's all everybody wanted to play on that store which is just just ridiculous i mean people were looking at sonic forces and then just moving on um it looked bad it played bad it sounded bad in fact it really sounded bad because um while you're playing along all of um sonic's furry friends like vector the crocodile and um and amy and 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 all the other ones whose names i've forgotten for 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 good reason um (laughs) every five seconds they pop up in the corner of the screen and shout in your ear um i can't believe there's this many eggman robots how are we going to get rid of them all and then another one says, we will, we'll, we'll manage it. And then another one says, why are there so many Eggman robots? How are we going to get rid of them all? And you've just said that and over and over again. And I'm hoping it's just because they haven't put any other dialogue in there yet. And they're just repeating the same bit, but it was terrible. I mean, the, the only thing that makes me slightly optimistic is the fact that um, this is the exact same demo that they've been showing off for the last seven or eight months. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've seen that. Uh, that exact same those those two levels on YouTube many times, 
um, with no changes at all. So I'm hoping that it's a really old build and they fixed it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe that maybe nothing else exists, and that was that's all they've got. <laughs> did you did, did you get a t-shirt? I didn't get a t-shirt. No, I said, "Have you got any free t-shirts?" And they said, "No." But right. then maybe I wasn't enthusiastic enough about the game that I just played, so um, oh, I wasn't allowed one. I got two T-shirts and two two posters. I, I have I have my wife with me; she played it as well. So we each got a T-shirt and a poster. Um, and yeah, that was the first thing I played because it was next to the Mario queue that I was ejected from. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I suspect that Sonic Forces might be intended for a much more idiotic audience. Yeah, I genuinely can't see how anybody can get much fun out of it at all. It's awful. <laughs> oh. Ah, well. Uh, oh, we should mention the the, we... the the games library because that was really good. It was, yeah. Um, so, so, the, so, so this is for Kendrick's benefit, really, and anybody else who wasn't there. Uh, they had a large area where they had a number of consoles set out, um, and I spotted uh, original Xboxes, uh, PlayStation Twos, PlayStation Ones, um, GameCubes, and I think there was some Nintendo sixty fours as well. Um, and then some bookcases with a library of games, and you literally oh. just rock up, choose a game, and then go and play it. So, um, um, so a bit of background information. Um, a, a few years ago, we had a UGBM meet in a hotel in Nottingham, and um, one of the things that we did there was um, play Winner Stays On at Soul Calibur on the uh, Dreamcast. <laughs> and it turns out that I am significantly better at bashing buttons in Soul Calibur than anybody else from um, UGVM. And I had a, a straight win run of uh, 10, um, well, unbeaten for, for 10 fights, and then nobody wanted to play with me anymore. Um, did, did as what character, beat? out of curiosity? Sorry? As what character? Oh, Safiti, obviously. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. Didn't, you, didn't, you get, didn't you get beaten by my wife? Now, <clears throat> the thing is... <laughs> So, so off the back of me beating this fourteen-year-old at Street Fighter Five, I was up for beating more people at other games, and um, so I dragged everybody over to the games library. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't have Soul Calibur, or at least I couldn't find it. But they did have Soul Calibur Two um, for the GameCube. So again, we played Winner, Winner Stays On, and uh, I managed four fights, and uh, and then I was beaten by Jamie, I believe, um, unfortunately. But but um, although play continued, it turns out that um, Zoe had, had brought a ringer in the form of his wife, who, <laughs> who previously he'd said she's not really much of a gamer, except she managed to beat all of us. She did. She beat me three times fairly comprehensively. I'm pretty sure she's never played a fighting game prior to last week. No. <laughs> Now, Soul Calibur 2, this is the one that had the different tie-in characters depending on which system you purchased it for. Is that correct? Yeah. Link and Spawn and... Hayachi. Um, yeah. Right. We were playing on GameCube. Wow. Yeah. Nobody was Link, I don't know. Or I, I certainly wasn't Link. But yeah. No, Link's not Hayachi. I, I remember seeing hacks of the game where uh, people who disassembled the code noticed that the uh, movesets for all three characters were present in uh, all three builds of the game. And so what they were doing was they were hacking uh, models and uh, the uh, character selections back into the other versions so that you could have Link on your Xbox or Heihachi on the GameCube. Obviously, yeah. that would require, you know, the tomfoolery that goes into modification. But, uh, oh, boy. So so that's why you have Soul Calibur 2 listed on your EGX topic list. It's not because there's a new release of it, but because you got beat by Zoe's wife. Well, yes, that happened. That wasn't the reason for bringing it up, um, and I wasn't going to mention that. But yes, I did. Yeah, but I did win four times in a row. So you know, it's not it's not all bad. 
Everybody beat me. Well, that's true. <laughs> and, and I'd been playing Soul Calibur 2 the previous week because it was cheap on um, on Xbox One, the HD online version. So I'd actually literally played an hour of Soul Calibur 2 um, the week before for the first time in many years. And I still can't play it, apparently. <laughs> I always thought that the winning strategy in any version of Soul Calibur was to play as Voldo. And your opponent would be so disturbed by... Uh, the motion and the costuming that you would be able to eke out a victory just on that psychological advantage on uh, alone. You'd think, but that's the kind of thing that Zoe wears normally. So that's oh yes, I forgot. Okay. So what what cod piece are you wearing right now? Uh, I, I I can't disclose that on this podcast. Children might hear it. Very good. <laughs> we'll we'll disclose it on the next one then. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Well. Uh. If uh, it's okay to move on. Um. I hope you don't mind that I did a little research on the games that were being exhibited, which is to say I read the Guardian and Daily Mirror articles on it. And one game in particular uh, leapt out at me, um, something called Racing Apex. Did either of you get a look at that? I didn't get to play it, but I did see it. Um, and it looked, it looked really good. So it's a, um, a kind of like a mid 90s late 90s um polygon racing game so in the style of virtual racing and daytona and in terms of polygon count and graphic quality it's probably sits somewhere between the two um so it's all like flat shaded rather than um uh, textured but um it's a bit higher polygon rate than 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 virtual racing is um the tracks all seem to be that kind of thing um i'm pretty sure there was a helicopter going over the track at one point and a big red bridge so you know everything seems seems right there um and and it looked great and and um after you mentioning it um i went and had another look at it the other day and um was terribly disappointed to see that it was actually a weapon-based racing game yeah, that is the punchline, is that there are two combat modes. One yeah. where you have uh, machine guns pointed forward on your bonnet and you're uh, shooting down the uh, racers ahead of you. Or there is a uh, two-player co-op mode where one person drives the vehicle and the other person is the gunner on a rotating turret so that you can shoot people as they uh, come past or as they try to sneak up behind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's kind of okay. I'm not really a fan of those. Um, there was a game called Cell Damage, which which I enjoyed. I like Carmageddon, um, but I'd have preferred this if it was just a, a proper straight racer. I mean, I don't mind them having, I don't mind having silly cars and silly characters, but I think I would have preferred it to be closer to virtual racing and Daytona than than you know all the guns and things. Um, and it did make me, it did make me think actually, what's happened to '90s arcade racer? That was kickstarted what in 2012 or 2013 supposed to be coming to the wii u and then they ditched it for the wii u and now it's just seems to have vanished that looked really good it's coming out on the zx vega thing it's not <laughs> <laughs> that's never coming out um speaking of silly characters in racing apex um did you notice the in the uh roster of uh, racers that you can select the one uh the british one is named aston unimaginatively I didn't notice that, no. Yeah. Um, it gets worse. Uh, the American uh, woman is uh, named Alexa, and uh, she has her fire suit unzipped down to her navel. Of course for, she does. you know, low polygon cleavage. Well, well that bit yes, won't burn, you see, if the car catches on fire. It's a, game, it's a game inspired by 90s racers. I accept that. But that doesn't mean that we have to be using 90s mores in terms of, you know, gender 
diversity and inclusion. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking if I were a teenage girl and I saw that, that would be an immediate turnoff because that's a clear flag that the game isn't aimed at me. You know, even though the game is clearly meant for everyone, um, there are a couple of other uh, uh, things about the character roster that bothered me. Uh, the one black character, the token, if uh, I may be so bold, is a Jamaican called Marcus, who stands head and shoulders and nipples taller than all of the other characters. So he is a stereotypical threatening black man, which nice. bothers me because why can't he just be a guy? You know, he should be just a normal guy, another racing driver. Well, the thing is, we we don't know his backstory, so you know, he he could could he could still be that. Yes. Um. Uh, just just to wrap it up, uh, there is one racer from China, uh, who is realistically named Jun, but uh, unfortunately, they use the Japanese spelling of that J U N rather than Z H U N, and that's just making me die a little bit inside because I see people who don't know anything about Asian culture mixing up uh, Chinese and Japanese and Korean names all the time to the Absolutely. point where you have, uh, you know, a character named Ryutsu Kim or something like that. And yeah. anyway, anyway, so I'm looking forward to trying the game out for real. I do hope that it, that these early builds reflect, you know, works in progress and that there are improvements on all these points that we've been discussing. Sure. It's lazy stereotyping as well. It's Yes. Play. On to our playlists for the last fortnight. I just want to quickly mention a couple of mine. Uh, one I mentioned last time uh, is Hitman on the uh, PlayStation 4. I've not got a great deal further through it. Um, I think I was on Marrakesh last time I mentioned um, where I was. I've done that. I've done a an interesting level in Bangkok where you are um, in a hotel and you have to... Uh, the two people you have to kill, uh, one of them is a rock star who is 27 years old, which is an important number if you're a rock star. Um, <laughs> um, um, and, you know, I, I boringly just um, shot him with a sniper rifle. Um, but the, the other guy you have to kill, I think, was his manager. Um, he is on the lookout for uh, souvenirs, and um, he has his eye on this um, beaten-up old tuk-tuk that's parked around the back of the hotel. And um, he's been talking to the uh, the work uh, the worker at the hotel who owns it, and the worker's been saying, "Well, it, it doesn't work this tuk tuk." So of course you can step in, fix it, and rig, rig it to explode the moment he comes to test it, which was quite funny. You get an achievement just, for killing somebody by tuk tuk, which was quite good. For for the for the benefit of listeners who uh, have not been uh, to India or have not seen a Bond film, the tuk tuk is the little three wheeled taxi traditionally used in uh, British colonial. Uh, yes uh, yeah, exactly yeah right. yeah 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 so i mean you you, you it, it sparks a bit when you turn the engine over and um luckily there's a red barrel just next to it and um, we all know what happens with red barrels so uh <laughs> so yeah so that was quite fun um and then one mission i did just last night is uh, set in colorado um you uh, infiltrate a um some kind of militia base uh and there's all kinds of nasty people there um ex mossad agents and um terrorists and anti-terrorist uh, groups and and all kinds um working there and you have to bump four people off um one of them is quite funny because he is um he is seriously affected by ocd which you use to your advantage. So he's forever washing his hands and checking his clock, and uh, and things like that. And you can make him go a little bit um, a little bit mad by messing with the clock, and uh, and doing other things that that um, trigger his OCD. Um, and to calm himself down, he um, 
he he likes to go and have a cigarette so um when he's not near his cigarettes you can spike them with um hallucinogenic um drug um and then um go and set off his ocd with various things make it so he can't wash his hands by turning off the water supply to his sink and um, off he goes for a cigarette to calm down during which he then has a psychotic episode, thinks that there's things crawling all over him, runs into a nearby shed to wash his hands in the sink that's in there. You go in behind him and drown him. So, <laughs> Wholesome fun for the whole family. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, it might not be funny, but it's it, it's it's quite clever. You know, there's an awful lot of steps to it, and um, and, and you have to execute each one, and if if you forgive the the, the word, um, and um, and yeah, it's it it just shows. Um, there's a lot more depth to it than, than perhaps there may have been in previous Hitman games. Um, hmm. So, yeah, so that's fun. Um, aside from that, quite a few Lego games I've been playing. So I finished off uh, with my daughter because we've been playing the entire thing in co-op, uh, Lego City Undercover on the Switch, which I'd previously played on the Wii U, but it was only single player then. Um, we've 100%ed it. We've collected absolutely everything in the game, and we've loved it from start to finish. And I know Zoe hated it, but, you know, um, he doesn't have an eight-year-old daughter to play it with, and it's a different dimension when you do so. Um, okay. But, yeah, we really enjoyed that. And now we've moved on to LEGO Star Wars The Force Awakens, and um, that's good too. I mean, I'm not a fan of Star Wars, really. Um, I haven't seen the film that it's based on. I don't really know any of the characters in it, my daughter even less so, but she thinks BB-8 is the best thing in the world now, and we may have to get a LEGO BB-8 at some point. Um, but, you know, it's a LEGO game, you smash things, it's fun, and, and then you move on to the next level. So, so yeah, that's, that's good too. I have to ask, did the touchscreen functions of LEGO City Undercover carry forward from the Wii U to the Switch, or are those completely absent now? Well, there weren't really that many. Um, all, the, all there was really was a, um, a kind of a scanner that you, you, you pick up the, um, the, the Wii U controller and you, you wave it around to, to imitate pointing at things that are in the game. You don't do that anymore. Um, you just do it with the stick instead on the screen. So it's, it's, it's a step back for that, but it doesn't really affect the game very much at all. Okay. Um, uh, also, um, m much to my daughter's jealousy, um, while we were at EGX, I did play the uh, Lego Ninjago video game, um, which is based on the new Lego Ninjago film that's coming out. She's a massive fan of Ninjago. Um, uh, at one point, she wanted to marry Lloyd, the green ninja. Um, so um, I actually sent her a message from EGX to say, I've just played the Lego Ninjago game, and um, she told me off and um told me i had to bring it home with me but of course you know couldn't do that so uh, i think that's probably going to be a hit when that arrives um but um that'll be a while off yet i think christmas a um, Christmas gift. It would be. I tend to. I tend to be behind the curve with most of the Lego games because um, they're so much cheaper. Just like two or three months down the line, if you if you're one or two games because they release like three or four games a year, it seems if you're a game or two behind the newest one, they're ten, fifteen pounds instead of forty, forty five. So um, you know, I tend to do that. Um, and finally, the 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 last game I've been playing, and I've not played it a great deal because it's quite short, and I did play it. Um, pretty much from start to finish over the course of two nights is steam world steam world dig two uh on the switch which i was a big fan of the first game i mean it had some shortcomings it's quite it is quite short it, it is um quite repetitive you basically just dig down a big mine collect gems sell the gems get better equipment so you can dig further and repeat um there's a few puzzles there's a few bosses but that's pretty much the, the cycle of the game but steam world dig two is is bigger and um there's a lot more to it in, in in every in every sense instead of just one mine shaft there's uh three possibly four 
mine shafts, which are different in in, um, in various ways, as well as theme. The they um, they don't have their own gimmicks, uh, which makes them different. Like one of them is, is quite lava based. There's another one that's got a lot of acid um, that drips down from the ceiling and affects the blocks that you're digging through. Um, obviously, different types of enemies and stuff. And also, there's areas where instead of just digging down, you dig up, um, which is usually a bit more difficult than digging down um because you, you you don't have as much control over the direction in which you can move when you do that so there's a bit more puzzle there um there's even some stuff outside of the mine um so in in the at the top of the mountain that you're in um there's places where you go up there's an awful lot of exploring to do there's a lot more in the way of um uh, uh augmentations that you can have on your um your equipment um you're able to get a jet pack at some point you get a grappling rope um you, you know it's 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 the first game but more in every possible way um and i've just uh 100 that and now i've moved on to there's a, there's a trial mode afterwards which is compared to the rest of the game which is pretty easy the trial mode is just virtually impossible um it's it's a series of large rooms each with a, a gimmick no way of healing yourself no way of saving between rooms um so one one minute you're escaping from um basically terminators um and then the next minute you're um avoiding a load of spikes um you, you know so it's it's yeah it's it's great but that bit's hard but i think i think if i manage to get that nailed the achievement for doing that you know it'll, it'll feel it'll feel great but it's just so hard <laughs> and um i think I think that's everything I've been playing. So, um, Zoe, um, tell me what you've been up to. Uh, well, I'll just do a quick run through of everything I played at EGX. Uh, I started with Sonic Forces, obviously, and then uh, played a bit of Skyrim on Switch, which is weird. Um, In what way? I have to ask, is it the uh, new uh, uh, release that was recently out on PS4, Xbox One, and PC, or is this a port of the original Skyrim? Well, it's got all of the DLC. I don't really know what the other extras were. I, I mean, I was playing it on a tiny little handheld, so I couldn't tell you if it's got any like fancy graphic things. I, I put about 90 hours into the 360 version, but this just felt... The controls felt unresponsive. Um, I was trying to do my usual uh, mountain go hopping up mountains. You can't do it. The, the jump button seems to work sporadically. Um, hmm. I mean, it, it is Skyrim. It's all there. It looks nice. It runs fine, but it just doesn't feel quite right. Um, I'm not sure why. Is, is this memory from going back to it after Zelda, and because it's not quite as slick or as fast or as agile as Zelda is, is it just it feels a bit slower and clunkier? And I mean, because it's an older game. It's what six years older. So it, it does, but I'd expect that. But one of the one of my main memories of Skyrim is if you wanted to get to the other side of a mountain then you could either walk around it or you could just jump over it by just going up and just spamming jump to get up these ridiculous climbs and you just don't appear to be able to do that and half the time you press the jump button it doesn't even do anything Um, it just felt really sluggish and unresponsive that tells me that it is the new version of the game because a lot of the textures and the uh, vertices of the landscaping model uh, were revised in order to prevent that sort of exploit. So oh, well, I I like oh. that exploit. It made navigation a lot quicker and easier. I like that too. Yeah, to try and try and go where you shouldn't go. That was that was yeah. fun. Oh, uh, well. I I played Mario Odyssey, which I won't really go into because I know that Andy's trying to do a complete blackout on it. Uh, Absolutely, but <laughs> is 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 it good? And is it as good as you hoped? It's good. 
I don't know if it's as good as I hoped. I've got very high expectations. It's very strange, and I didn't really have any idea what I was doing, but I only had 10 minutes on it. Um, there were loads of just great little things that you just come across. I, I, I stumbled across two random mini-games just dotted around you, Donks, um, that made me giggle. Um, good. But in terms of the actual core, kind of getting around, I, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I kept getting lost and stuck um but i'm sure it'll be great once i'm not trying to push through on time restriction good but i mean it, it didn't smack you in the face as being absolutely terrible like like oh, no. that the other game no not at all it's it's much much better than that other game good. um but i i can't say at this stage if it's a galaxy beta um and everything else i played was a driving game um drive club vr which is old news but i stumbled across it being demoed at a place that was selling gaming chairs or big chairs as i prefer to call them but they also <laughs> had uh they had a cockpit thing that they were trying to flog um and that was set up with the whatever the high-end logitech wheel is the g29 um, and a copy of Drive Club VR, so I gave that a go, and now I really want a racing seat and a steering wheel. Yeah. Um, I also played Forza 7 and GT Sport. Forza 7 looks really nice. I played that on the next Xbox One X. The Forza 7 and Gran Turismo Sport were both set up with cockpits and wheels and big fancy TVs, um, but if uh, but they also, for each one, they had like uh, six to eight TVs with controllers, and if you just mention to somebody in the hour-long queue um, that you don't mind playing with a controller, then you just get to jump the queue. So I played both of those with a controller because that's how I would play them at home. Right. Um, Forza Seven in 4K on an HDR OLED looks really, really nice, but it's it's Forza. If you've played a Forza Motorsport game, it's exactly what you expect it to be. Gran Turismo Sport. If you've played any Gran Turismo game, is exactly like you'd expect it to be. It doesn't have a career mode which means that it's gone from a must-buy to I probably won't buy that. Um, and I played Project Cars 2 for about five minutes, driving face-first into a wall, pressing restart, driving into the same wall until I got bored of driving into a wall. There did seem to be an awful lot of that. I, I, I sat and watched a few people um, uh, playing that, and uh, nobody seemed to be able to do a single lap. No, I, I could barely do the first corner. Um, I didn't once manage to get around the first corner without hitting the wall. No, the, the wall is also a good 10 metres away from the edge of the track as well. <laughs> it was quite impressive. Um, I did a lot of street passing. I took my 3DS expecting to be the only one there with a the 3DS. Um, I know that Andy brought two. Because, I did, because I've got two. Because everybody should. Yeah, I've, I've got two, but I only brought one. Mm. Um, Actually, I've got three in front of me right now. So yeah. Wow. Um, I've not got around to processing all of the ones I collected. I was genuinely surprised at how many people had brought their 3DSs and were street passing. I got an awful lot of hits. I thought there'd be like three or four all day um so that was nice and uh, that was all i played ajax um three switch games four racing games and a bunch of street pass uh, the only other thing i've really been playing you might recall from last episode i was being very self-congratulatory for not buying destiny 2 and then about three days after we recorded i bought destiny 2 well done. Um, thanks. I've finished it. I'm level twenty. My power level, which is now okay, you say you say level twenty, and that means nothing to me, who who only vaguely knows a little bit about the first destiny. So, what is okay. the level cap? Uh, level cap is twenty. Okay. Um, I hit that shortly before finishing the story. Okay. Um, the light level is now called the power level. Um, I don't know what the cap is. Uh, I know that the raid requirement is two sixty minimum. 
Um, I'm 225. Um, I think 265 is kind of the soft cap where things start getting arbitrarily hard. Right. Um, I've been led to believe, but I've, I'm making kind of steady progress. I, I got from uh, 202 to 222 in uh, a, an hour and a half session the other night. So it seems to be going up at a reasonable rate. It's It's destiny, but everything is really simplified, which is really good. But I spent three years getting my head around the incomprehensible mess that was destiny systems and now everything's been so scaled back that it's i'm actually more confused uh, it's <laughs> gone from it's, it's gone from having 60 currencies to two or three if you include the one that they use for microtransactions and, and it's just strange all of the menus are so familiar but so subtly different that i've i spent about 600 hours in destiny and i'm i'm just lost everything's strange Oh well, but, it, but but it's more destiny, so that's good, and that's me. Good. So, um, Kendrick, my playlist is a bit short, but uh, I hope uh, relates well to either of yours. Uh, I've also been playing a bit of Skyrim, both on the PC and the PS4. Um, the reason for this is some news recently got released regarding a survival mode that will be an official mod released by Bethesda, and uh, this is something where you have to worry about the ambient temperature, you have to worry about staying fed, you have to worry about getting enough rest. Um, it essentially turns the entire game into a uh, you know, survival uh, crafting sim sort of thing. Okay. And I'm not a big fan of that type of play, but I understand why it appeals to some people because they want to immerse themselves in the role that they're playing completely. Um, it's also rubbing me the wrong way because they're using it to promote the uh, creators club, which is where uh, mods are being managed and sold uh, from a central location for both Skyrim and Fallout Four. And okay, when you when you say when you say sold, so so the, these are, these are the the gamers basically are creating the mods. Yes. Yeah. Who and, gets uh, who gets the money then when they sell? Uh, I believe that the way it's working out is that the creators get a cut and then Bethesda gets a significantly higher cut than everybody thinks that they're uh, owed. They're, right. they're, they're, they're essentially, um, I can't remember the name of the uh, original uh, mod uh, organization that uh, previously managed a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the Bethesda game mods and mods for other games, uh, as it were, but they're slowly trying to get that all under their own corporate banner. And right. interestingly, um, if you've played Fallout 4 recently and you've installed all the latest updates, you'll see a, a little advertisement for the Creators Club in the corner continuously as sort of a, uh, uh, what I think what they call it in American television is the bug, the little ad that yeah, never no, goes away in the corner of the screen. Yeah. Right, and so there's now a popular mod that removes that, so you don't have to look at it. <laughs> anyway, um, the other thing that I've been playing a lot of, because it's my regular go-to game, is Freedom Wars. Uh, I found a new exploit whereby I'm running around abandoned parts of the prison, picking up what's essentially scrap. And that's much easier than carving the scrap off of the giant robots, although less fun. But uh, I've done the maths to the point where I can shave even more years off of my sentence. At last count, I was at 91,000. Okay, that's so down from, yes. So just, just explain, because obviously I, I have no idea. So you, you, what, you get loot to pay off a prison sentence. Is that 
in Freedom Wars, the conceit is that society has been divided into two classes. You have the citizens who are skilled labor. They're the people who make things and do the thinking and have all the money. And then you have sinners who are the people who have committed the crime of being born and have no discernible skills. And so what happens is for the crime of being born, you are sentenced to prison for a million years. And the vast majority of sinners just go batshit crazy, insane, and die in their cells alone and unloved. Others are sent in this enforced labor where they are issued combat equipment and they go up into the ruined uh, surface of the world to capture citizens from other uh, city-states, other panopticons. And so what you have a situation where resources on Earth are so scarce that they're each of the city-states that are remaining are competing with each other to get all of the skilled labor so that they can maximize their food production and their energy usage as much as possible. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting premise from a science fiction perspective. And they explore all levels of it in uh, all of the NPC interactions. You will occasionally run into someone who is gaming the system just for their own benefit. And then you will interact with the 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 uh the more you uh the more your status rises the more you're allowed to interact with other characters um for example you have to purchase a permit to uh run rather than walk to your next destination you have to purchase a permit to leave your cell you have to purchase a permit to talk to the opposite sex right uh, at a certain point you start being able to interact with the uh, skilled citizens and you start to understand that they're in just as much of a prison of their own making as you are, because even though they're respected and elevated and have all of these privileges, all of their movement and all of their uh, actions are just as restricted. Um, one in particular that jumps out at me is you meet a citizen who is a very skilled engineer, but she's also uh, celebrating that she's just been uh, given permission to have a child. Right. And, you know, the in comparison to our own Western liberal democracy sort of situation, that's just mind blowing if you pay attention to it. Otherwise you can just, you know, chuck the whole story and just play what's essentially just cause with giant robots. Yeah. Anyway, um, where this is all leading is if I manage to uh, get my entire prison sentence uh, uh, down to zero before the next podcast, then uh, our listeners will be graced with a, a uh, picture of my character in battle wearing a bikini because that is uh, your reward for uh, completely uh, completely making yourself free of the prison system is the freedom to wear swimwear into battle. That that's life goals. That is yes. It's it's, it's, it's you know you got to dream and you got to dream big. Absolutely. And that's my playlist. What? Let's talk about stuff that. We're looking forward to coming out and um, that we'd like to be buying with our well-earned money in the future. So um, uh, let's start with uh, Zoe. Um, well, Mario Odyssey, for yep. obvious reasons. And that would be on my list as well, but then that already was. Yeah, Sonic Forces, for less obvious reasons, um, because I'm a bad person. Yeah, I think I think you need to see somebody about this problem. I, I, I really um, And uh, Cuphead, which is out tomorrow. And um, I, I'm not even sure I want to play it. I just want to look at it because it looks yeah. so beautiful. So, um, so I've seen videos. Yep. It appears to be a 
side-scrolling shooter, but yeah. done in the style of early Disney cartoons. Is that? Yeah. So it plays like oh, what's it called? The the thing I can never remember the name of. Um, yeah, that. I was yeah, going that. to say Mega Man, but you might have a different metaphor in mind. Um, I guess Mega Man, but I was thinking the 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 two D side-scrolling shooter. Yeah, the, Yes, R-Type. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like R-Type with a little bit of loose platforming. R-Type on foot, um, but everything looks like it was is a 1930s cartoon. The effect is incredibly convincing. I didn't play it at EGX, but I stood behind some people who were playing it, and it <laughs> looks really incredible. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed it's not coming to anything else, really, because um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not my type of game, but it's the kind of game that I think I'd want to play, if you well, see what I mean. It's coming to Xbox and PC. Um, uh, yeah, the two things I don't play on. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's cross buy if you buy it from the from the Microsoft Store. Um, right. You can play it on both, uh, or you can get it on Steam. And the only other thing I want is my SNES Mini Classic, which should be arriving tomorrow. Good. Have Have you seen that the uh, they've they've torn it down and had a look at the innards, and it is literally exactly the same hardware as the NES Classic Mini. I have, and I'm not at all surprised. No, uh, neither am that. I. I find it quite amusing that they couldn't make more NES Classic Minis, given that they're sitting on a massive stockpile of the same hardware. I think that might be why, though. They had to curtail um, making any more of those so that they could make some more of these. So So it turns out that I couldn't cancel one of my pre-orders that I didn't want, so I'm getting them. I'll be looking to offload one of those. Okay. Um, Am I I correct in uh, observing that the European... uh, shell for the SNES Classic reflects the hardware that uh, you had for your SNES and that it's grey and yep. looks more like a Super Famicom whereas the American one is the more squared off one with the purple switches. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I much, much prefer the European layout, although I yeah. do kind of like the fact that the uh, US controller has got two concave buttons. Yeah, that is a bit strange, but then I suppose it well, I don't know. You don't have the the differenting colors to to thing. Um, one it, thing I want to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, one thing I do want to mention about that, and you're the person to ask. Have you got Palmer violets in America? I'm sorry. Say that again. Have you got Palmer violets in America? I do not know what a Palmer violet is. Okay, they're kind of like um, very small sweets that are um, slightly floral scented, um, kind of a bit lavendery, I suppose, and um, they're they're the same color and shape as the buttons on the American Super NES. We, we, if we had those sweets in America, they sound as if they would be sold exclusively to retirees not more than two years away from death. Uh, they, no, they're not. They're not kind of like um, hard-boiled sweets. They're more like um, uh, soft uh, or slightly, slightly crunchy, kind of sherbet-y type, <laughs> type molded sweets. It, it's not the texture so much as the flavor that makes me think that. They are oh, disgusting. Yeah, yeah. They are absolutely vile, and it just tastes like you're eating a bar of soap. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, while we're on the subject of the SNES controllers, um, you might be interested to know, or you might be completely bored to know, that uh, the SNES controller is the only example of region-locked peripheral hardware that I'm aware of. Yes. Yes, I, I found that when I tried to use one on mine. Um, yes, you cannot use an American region SNES controller on a European console or vice versa. It is the right. strangest thing in the world, and the circuit boards inside are completely different looking. I have no idea why they decided to go that route, but 
it's true and it means you know one more silly thing that i have to try to collect i did not know that that is fascinating yeah and and completely nonsensical but anyway hooray nintendo yeah um so a few things that i want then uh, i mentioned last time about um golf story um i still want it although in, in actual fact i did buy it this afternoon because it came out today um i've played it for maybe half an hour um i, I was really, expecting you to postpone tonight's podcast so you could play it i kind of was but i managed to <laughs> I managed to squeeze it in for half an hour before the podcast and um so far it's it's golf if you ever played sensible golf it's sensible golf only with a story mode um and it's 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 pretty good um similar to that i'm still looking forward to stardew valley which um yesterday i think the um developers said that they've um everything sorted now it's all been okay by nintendo and they're ready to go they just need a release date um so that could be any time now um obviously i want mario odyssey as well and fire emblem warriors uh, one thing i did make a note of we mentioned last time the um uh, I can't remember that company. Um, Tecmo, was it who made the Warriors? Game? That's the one. Yeah, yes. it's Warriors All Stars is the name of the game that they um, have all of their various franchises all crammed into one game. Um, although sadly, it seems to be mainly only the Warriors and the Dead or Alive series, and then a few add-ons from various other places. So it's not quite as varied as you might think, sadly. Um, so there's that. Uh, and one thing which I did see at EGX, which um, I thought looked good, was a game called Hunt Down, um, which looks a lot like um, something like um, Alien 3 on the Mega Drive or um, Contra or something like that. So it's nice, platformy, shooty, um, pixel art type stuff um, with really chunky explosions. Sort of a bit like um, that game that's on the PlayStation 4, um, not the Expendables, the one that's got the Expendables in it with all the silly names of people. Can't remember what it's called. Broforce, that's the one. So it looks a bit like that, but it's not quite as silly and everything's a bit bigger, but it's similar kind of thing, I suppose. That looked really interesting. So I'm, I'm probably going to pick that up when that arrives. Um, so Kendrick, anything you're looking forward to? Well, uh, at some point in the last week, I decided that I might want an Atari box. Right. And I'm not sure if this has been uh, marketed at all over there in the UK or uh, in Europe in general. We, we've seen um, about it, yes, but um, okay. Okay, well, for the benefit, for the benefit, well, it, it's it's not uh, likely to be uh, released until around Christmas time. Um, for the benefit of our, of our listeners, the Atari box is a uh, a piece of hardware with an AMD X sixty four processor and a pile of storage in it. Um, it's done up in a, a wood grain box, uh, similar to the original Atari twenty six hundred. And it's intended to play all of the beloved classics uh, from the Atari library. Unfortunately, the uh, shambling zombie company that now holds all of the uh, IP rights to uh, Atari's games has been very cagey about what games they might actually release on it. Um, obviously, there's licensing and uh, negotiation to occur there, but... Uh, I'm hopeful that this is going to be a way to access a lot of the old uh, and obscure games that just haven't been released in retro collections before, from uh, the Atari 7800, from the Atari, I'm sorry, I've been practicing this all week, so I want to make sure I'm doing it right, the Atari Jaguar? Jaguar, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe's fallen down out of his chair. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, well, well done. Uh, and thank you. Um, there have been so many Atari games that were released once on their original system and then were never seen again. And I'm hoping against hope that that's what the Atari box is for, that its purpose is to bring these games back in a way that they can be accessible to the world. And I hope that this isn't just someone with a clipboard and a uh, balance sheet thinking that the NES Classic did pretty well. Let's get on that train. Sure. Have so, you seen the price, though? Uh, 300 of your human monetary units. So yeah. $300 in the U.S., 300 pounds in the U.K. I'm, th that does give me pause, you know, but uh, $300, you, 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 you can't... Uh, you can't say that's not comparable to other game systems, but then again, this isn't going to be comparable to other game systems. No, so, although it, it does seem that you might be able to use it as a Steam box as well. Yeah. So that, that would increase its library um, somewhat, um, but, but it's still, that's, that's still a lot of money. If they stick yeah, a load well, of um, arcade games in there, a load of old um, Atari arcade games in there, that, would be, uh, that might tempt me. But they have um, E.T.? Um, <laughs> Maybe they might have a few copies of that still um, lying around. I think I would love to know what the status of the uh, rights ownership is on the ET video game because I'm sure that Spielberg has a clause in some contract somewhere that says a uh, a two ton weight will drop down on your head if you attempt to re-release that. I'm yeah, sure that or, that's or play it. Easy. In fact, yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're in danger of reasoning in a vacuum here because we have to wait for them to release more information about the proposed library and distribution and uh, network connectivity, all this stuff that people have had uh, questions about for months now that we haven't gotten satisfactory answers to. So, uh, you know, just so we're we're not uh, running off uh, in a uh, in a completely irrelevant direction, I think that's all I want to say about the Atari box at this point. Good. So I look forward to seeing it in a in a um, in a bin section um, <laughs> at some point in the future. <laughs> so things things that I'd like to bin. I only have one thing to bin, and it's EGX. Um, it, now EGX was great, um, but it wasn't as good as I was expecting. It, it last time I went was when it was still called the Eurogamer Expo, and that was down in London, I think that was, I don't know, 2014, something like that, maybe. And um, th this one now seemed to be a lot smaller. Uh, I mean, physically, the room was bigger, but it seemed to be a lot smaller. There seemed to be fewer people, fewer games, fewer stalls, um, and not as much to interest me. Now, I realize part of what I'm binning is probably myself, because my tastes have moved on. Um, I'm, I'm not as excited by all the new and shiny anymore, and I'm quite happy to wait for most things now. Um, obviously, there's also things were tempered a bit that I was there to do my job as well. Um, but um, although I enjoyed the day, to be honest, most of my enjoyment came from meeting up with other people from UGVM and a few other people that I know from elsewhere as well, um, and, and, and playing some old games and, and just having you know a good time that way rather than actually the event itself. So I was slightly disappointed there, um, but you know it, it wasn't terrible. But um, Yes, I, I think I'm not actually sure that the room was any bigger because um, at Earl's Court it was over two floors as well. Sure. And and it, it felt smaller to me in terms of floor space, number of stands, the size of the stands. I mean, I, I felt like I could get from one end to the other and walk around every single booth a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah, that was certainly the case. But um, but anyway, but aside from that, I've got nothing else to bin. So, Zoe, if you have anything. 
I'm going to bin Sonic Forces, then I'm going to take it out of the bin, then I'm going to play it, then I'm going to punch myself in the face, and then I'm going to put it back in the bin. Um, Good. I'd also like to bin Skyrim on the Switch for removing my Mountain Goat capabilities, and I'd like to bin GT Sport for not having a career mode, and I'd like to bin Destiny 2 for improving everything and in doing so... Comp- well, <clears throat> all all good reasons. <laughs> and um, Kendrick? I'd like to bin the multiple online gaming services because this is becoming too hard to manage. I thought of this the other day because uh, I don't know if either of you had an opportunity to watch the new Star Trek Discovery uh, television program. I haven't yet. Um, I don't think I've got anything I can actually watch it on. I'm not even sure which channel it's available on over here. I've never seen a Star Trek thing ever. Okay. Well, in in the UK and in most of Europe, I believe, uh, Star Trek Discovery is available on Netflix. So I don't have Netflix. Well, but but for for the majority of the market there, it's all sorted. Everyone can see it. Yes. In the United States, uh, the uh, studio that owns the Star Trek property, uh, CBS, has decided to spin up their own. Uh, streaming service, something that they're calling CBS All Access. And so now you can see the first episode for free, but if you want to see the rest of the show, you're going to have to, you know, throw X dollars per month at them for the purpose of watching that program. And hope, hey, while you're there, why not enjoy the rest of the CBS library that you never gave a damn to begin with? Right. And so this got me to thinking about how there's Steam and the PlayStation Network and Xbox Live and uh, uh, what what's the uh, EA one called Origin? Um, yeah. a, a good old games. Yeah. It's it's gotten to the point where if you want to play a game and you're not subscribed to the system on which the game is published, you really have to take a long hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask, Am I willing to sign up for another service? just to be able to play it. You yeah. know, I, I don't know if consolidation is the answer. I don't know if there's going to be the same level of uh, disagreement about which game should be on what service because for most of the world now, the default is Netflix. And if you're not on Netflix, then you're not going to reach the same broad market that uh, your competitors uh are uh, you know already reaching just by default, but that's what I would like to bin just because I'm a curmudgeon and I'm tired of seeing little nickel and dime charges on my credit card. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit different in in gaming land because with the exception of um, PSN and Xbox Live, but with PSN and Xbox Live, you only have to pay if you want to play online multiplayer. Um, you don't actually have to pay for any of the services; they're all free. Whereas if you wanted to watch every single exclusive TV series, then you would have to sign up to a lot of pay services, like 10 or 15 of them. Um, and I think that is a very big difference. Yeah. I, I, it surprises me that there isn't, um, at, at least for TV and film and things, there isn't a kind of one um, payment that you can make to somebody who kind of does consolidate all those services. So they'll, they'll get you a, uh, Netflix subscription and an Amazon prime subscription and, and, and whatever else there happens to be for, for one payment. Um, and it all just comes under one banner. Um, it seems, seems there might be a, a, a gap in the market for somebody to, to consolidate them all that way. Um, but you're still obviously jumping from one to another. 
And I'm not sure that giving one company the power over everything is necessarily a good thing. Um, I, I'm not sure they have the power over it. I'm, I'm more thinking where you would get a, a bundle. So you you, you know oh, you okay. go to Sky at the moment and you'd you'd pay you'd pay you could have the the all in package or whatever and you get all your films and all your sport and all your your entertainment channels and your kids channels and whatever all for one payment. Well, why why doesn't that exist for all the various on demand you know um, media streaming? Before um, Origin and Uplay and everything else, there was only Steam. And yeah. that, that's an awful lot of power for Valve to have. It is, yeah. It's also a lot of power for Valve to neglect. Absolutely. As you, know, you, you may have observed, a lot of crap gets published on Steam, which yeah. makes a lot of money for absolutely no merit. But yeah, I mean, their, a, their business practices have, have often left a lot to be desired. And I think that um, giving you alternative options isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that this uh, discussion of competition and uh, winnowing the market is probably best left for another time. Absolutely. So um, since our um, first podcast, um, the pilot that we did a couple of weeks ago, um, our our listeners, we've, we've, we've had more than one, it would appear, have left us some questions. Two questions, in fact. So we have at least two listeners. So that's great. Um, <laughs> so we should probably answer those, seeing as I did ask people to ask us them. So the first one then, uh, Neil Hopkins, who is ex-UGVM um, himself, he would uh, like to know, has Niaz managed to land his ship in Elite yet? Well, Niaz isn't here, so we're guessing not. Um, I did want to mention, though, that uh, Elite Dangerous does have a plot twist coming up, which might uh, make uh, Niaz want to learn how to land his ship sooner rather than later. Are you aware that the peaceful alien race uh, that was uh, portrayed in that game has suddenly turned violent? No. I uh, can't remember what they're called. They have some, uh, you know, ridiculous eight-consonant name like a doctor who villain but uh players have uh in the last two or three days of uh, real time noticed that their encounters with these aliens are now uh uniformly hostile um one interesting aspect of this interaction is that uh you can delay or defer uh, your destruction at the hands of these aliens by feeding them escape pods uh, with some of your crew trapped inside, which <laughs> suggests that uh, they're interested in capturing or consuming humans, and that's why they're suddenly uh, being hostile. Body but snatches. that's a yeah, but that that's an interesting strategy is where you have to pick some members of your crew to sacrifice so that the rest of the ship can get away. Anyway, I'm not playing the game, so I don't have any perspective other than what I've read, but I'll be fascinated to hear what Nias has to say about that if he's still playing. Yeah, well, he hasn't been taken by them, so. <laughs> um, and our other question comes from, and this this will be um, pronounced uh, completely incorrectly, from Quasimod or Kazimod, or as I know he loves to be called, Gazimod. Um, <laughs> he asks... Following Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which crossover versus game would you love to see Capcom announce? For example, Capcom vs. Sega, or Snickers, or Andrex, etc. Um, I'm not really sure how Capcom versus Andrex would work. I'm pretty sure Andrex would win there. But um... <laughs> uh, Zoe, would you like to take this one first? Because I have uh, a detailed answer. Sure. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is Capcom versus Don't Nod, uh, in which Frank West and Max Caulfield just sit opposite sides of the screen, seeing who can take the best photo of the other one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Brilliant. Um, I've, I've got a couple. I've got Capcom versus Conor McGregor, who I realise he, he lost, um, but that would definitely be worth um, uh, watching as he danced around the um, danced around the arena, I think. Um, but the other one I, I'd genuinely like to see would be Capcom versus the 80s cartoon Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> Kendrick. Well, um, in the spirit of answering the actual question that was answered. Oh, no, um, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, well, uh, I suppose that if, I, if, if this has to be a crossover that Capcom is announcing, I would like to see a revival of the old Rival School series. Okay. Um, this is what uh, we saw as uh, Project Justice on the Dreamcast, apparently because uh, Rival Schools is a potentially uh, controversial title if you're talking about school children beating each other up. Yeah. Are you familiar with the concept? Have you played the game? I've played Rival Schools, yeah. Okay, I know, great. I know um, of it. Okay. Um, I figured that uh, one thing to do would be for Capcom to uh, approach other developers who have games set in uh, Japanese uh, secondary schools and see if they'd like their characters to interact in a combat situation with the Rival Schools characters. So potentially you would have Capcom versus Persona. Yes. Or say I, I'd buy that. Capcom. Yeah, already. And and the uh, Persona series already has its own fighting game spinoff, so it's a natural progression. Yes. Anyway, um, the off-color uh, off answer I have for this question is, why does the crossover have to come from Capcom? There are a lot of existing crossover games out on the market right now that don't have as much exposure just because the Disney Corporation isn't backing their promotion. Uh, a couple come to mind right away. Uh, Dengeki Bunko, which is... Uh, Bandai, uh, it, it's a Bandai's, uh, oh, I, I can't remember the uh, properties that are in it, um, but uh, there are a bunch of uh, anime characters that are in it that, who uh, are not ordinarily part of one another's world and they're in a fighting game together. Uh, there's another one called Nitro Plus Blasters, which is uh, essentially, you know, Battle of the Anime Cheesecake Girls. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Super Sonico. No. She is a woman in a tube top who sells uh, 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 giant overpriced headphones. And nobody's looking at her headphones because they're looking at other parts of her. But, hey, she's in a fighting game. I don't know why, but she's in a fighting game. Uh, there's another one that uh, Sega's released, uh, uh, something called... No, wait, the J-Stars game is uh, another company. And the anyway, point is, there's a bunch of crossover fighting games that, you know are worth checking out if, for whatever reason, uh, the Capcom ones don't currently uh, scratch that itch. Um, although, I do have a soft spot for the game that was released on the Wii, the Tatsunoko versus Capcom. Yes, I've played that, yeah. That, yeah, that was the one that had the Gachaman characters and a bunch of other uh, fighters that uh, came from shows that were never, ever released in the West anywhere. And even if you don't know anything about the characters, it's a batshit crazy game to play. And it's completely worth picking up a copy if you don't have one. And assuming you still have a working Wii or Wii U in the house. Yeah, yeah. I, I seem to remember that was a, a nightmare to get the licensing for everything there. Because although it was pretty much all under um, one company in, in Japan, or, or at least one company now in Japan, it, uh, the licenses over here and, and presumably in America were just spread across so many different com uh, companies. And, and getting them all back together for what was a very niche product and probably didn't sell many copies. Um, that seemed like an enormous waste of time. Yeah, and that uh, problem has uh, been with the Capcom versus games forever. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the original 
uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter had yes. a uh, 18th character that wasn't present in the West? No, I don't know. Uh, his name is uh, Norimaru, and uh, he was the only character that was not explicitly part of the Marvel or uh, Capcom rosters. He was a mangaka, a, a comic book artist. His special attack was to open his uh, uh, messenger satchel and fling all of his art supplies at you. Uh, protractors and pencils and uh, uh, inkwells and all sorts of things. And he was uh, portrayed stereotypically, I suppose, is the most poetic way of uh, uh, putting it. You know, skinny, bespectacled Japanese man who had, uh, let's just say, improper reactions to the attractive female opponents when uh, he encountered them in the ring. Right. Well, if we if we don't have to have Capcom, then I'd like to see Viva Pinata versus Pen Pen. Okay. I'm not sure how much of a fighting game that is. That seems more like a, a Pokemon ripoff, honestly. I think, it's, I think it's more of a cuddling game, isn't it, rather than a fighting game? I don't know. That dog from Penpen looks pretty angry. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Right, well, that's the last of our questions then, and so uh, the end of our podcast. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. I say everyone because I'm assuming, again, the two people have tuned in to get the answers to their questions. As before, uh, please send us any questions to podcast.ugvm.org.uk uh, or uh, you can contact us on our Twitter account, which is UGVM Podcast. And then you can follow or, or look for us in various places. You can find me uh, on Twitter um, at DK01. That's DK with a K. The K's in the middle, by the way, not at the beginning. Uh, anybody else, so? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zamoniac. You can find me on most gaming services at Zamoniac. And Kendrick, do you have anything to plug? I uh, wanted to uh, reach out to retro gamers and people who are interested in uh, video adaptation and game system modification. If uh, you have an interest in these sort of things, come see us at GameSX.com. Uh, which is run by Lawrence of Australia, better known as uh, Neo Effing Geoman. Uh, we run a forum there where we can answer all your questions about modifying or repairing your old game system. Oh, sounds interesting. Okay, well, thanks for that. And that's it then. Uh, finally, finally, uh, just one last thing before we go. Those of us on UGBM will know, but it's coming up to the seventh anniversary of the unexpected death of one of our friends, Owen Alloway, otherwise known as the Rev. I'd like to think that on whichever plane of existence he now resides, he'd want to be talking on here about Doom on the Switch. It was actually because of his funeral that many of us from UGVM met in real life for the first time, and we miss you, big man. And... Seconded. And thirded. I never <laughs> met him, and I miss him as well. Sure. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening and see you next time.